Turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. As we, uh, uh, this morning, as we come to God's Word, uh, I think of the little ones that we had up here in uh, just a few moments. And uh, they're always excited. They're always hopeful. They're always uh, excited for a new day and a new experience. Uh, it's tough growing up, though. I, I know that for most of you, you remember different things that weren't the way you thought they would be. And the shock to your own soul uh, when things didn't go right. I think uh, eventually that's the point of sports, right? There's a winner and a loser. Uh, first, it's just learning to play the game, but then re- realizing there is a scoreboard. There is a scoreboard. And there's a strikeout. And there's a, a goal. And there's a, a goalie that missed it, right? Uh, there's all those things that point out, uh, and they don't seem right. I, I think about all the things of this life, and uh, why can't everyone win? Why can't there be a sense where we're always victorious and successful? And why can't we always be happy in the end of the day? Why is it that there are these things that aren't right in this world and they shock us? They shock us. This morning, uh, we're going to look at uh, three shocking problems. I don't think I said shocking in the title, but it got shocking as I studied it more. Uh, three shocking problems. And then we will find, uh, in the end, we'll find a beautiful truth, uh, really a shocking truth as well, uh, as we look at God's Word this morning. Uh, as we see this, uh, today we're going to see that really again, again and again and again through the book of Ecclesiastes, the emptiness of life and the simple joy that comes from God. The simple joy. Um, and, and really... That will point us, that will point us away from uh, the other paths, the other pursuits, uh, like the rest are going. It'll point us uh, to our God who loves us so much. And so if you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you from uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. God's word says this. If you see in a province uh, the, the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, uh, for the high official is watched over by a higher, and, and they are yet higher ones over them. But this is a gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivate cultivated fields. He who loves money uh, will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of the laborer, for for whether he eats little or much, the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. This is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And and he is a father of a son, uh, but he has nothing in his hand. 
And he has came from his mother's womb, and he shall go again naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in the darkness and in much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is a gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. God, we ask the bless, your blessing on your word in our hearts in this church right now. God, we realize that the truth found in here uh, is transformational. Like It is something that will change us to be what you want us to be. And I ask that that would go on now. I guess I ask that you would mark our church right now as we go to your word. Thank you for speaking to us in it. We pray your blessing on this time in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. You've been in uh, the study uh, with us, if you've been here. Uh, last week, um, and by the way, if you came to the second service last week, I was all confused. I'm sorry. Uh, Pastor, I just didn't have it last week, okay? We're going to erase that from the tapes, okay? Um uh, Reread it. Uh, go. Uh, my dad keeps telling me over and over again that there's two preachers that he watches on TV that are uh, also going through the book of Ecclesiastes. And I said, I know, Dad. They keep asking me for my notes. You know, uh, uh, but find one of those guys that do a better job with the first part of chapter five. If you were here last week, I didn't. I was confused. Anyways. Uh, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes had spoken of the importance of worship and being careful about coming into uh, before the presence of God, but also for making vows of, of saying things bigger than you're planning on uh, coming through and, and making big promises before God. Now Solomon, he transfers back to some of the common themes of the book of Ecclesiastes and as we've gone through this, maybe if you've been here, maybe, maybe if you don't come that regularly, it's not as tiresome for you. Uh, but the way he comes back to these themes of life, it, it comes back like waves and it, it, it's over and over and over again. And he comes back to those now. Uh, and we will find, like I said, three shocking problems. We'll, we'll get there. So if you look down at verse 8, he he says this. He says uh, if you uh, see if you see a, in a province oppression of the poor, uh, the picture here is this: that in a town, in a place, in in a, a a section of land that's governed, he says if you see there with your own eyes oppression, things that aren't right, 
He, he goes on not to just talk of oppression, but he says oppression of the poor, violation of justice and righteousness. I, I think of our little ones and as they grow up, uh, that day when they catch mom or dad in a lie. That day where mom or dad blows their stack. That day where clearly, clearly they see mom or dad being selfish. When, when kids grow up to see that, boy, that's a shocking day for them. Or maybe it's at school where they... They have a, a particular teacher and they grow up and teacher's always right and teacher's always doing good. And then they find out that the teacher's not a good person. And they're playing favorites or they're being unjust and the shock and the horror. And it's not fair. Maybe it's a coach. Uh, that whole youth sports thing is a bad deal. You know why? Who coaches? Dads, dads who probably weren't that good at sports when they, but they always wanted to be right, and they dreamed of being better. And now their kid is on the team, and the reason they're coaching is because their kid is on the team so that they can play pitcher, right, or catcher if they wanted to play, or or whatever you want, son, right? I'm protecting your spot, right? And and as a kid, you see the injustice and you go, this isn't fair. And maybe it's an umpire, right? The third strike call. I, 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 I didn't swing at it because it wasn't a strike. I saw it. I was right there. Was that guy blind? As it gets older, maybe it's someone else. Maybe it's a, a police officer. Maybe it's a president. Maybe it's a boss. I don't know. What is it? But but the, when when you finally see injustice in this passage, uh, the, one of the highlights of this injustice is the oppression of the poor. Why is that such a vile thing to our eyes? It, it it's that thing uh, of seeing. By the way, he he goes back to this idea of seeing it. This, this Solomon taking a survey with his own eyes, being an eyewitness to this, and he says. Uh, Having seen this injustice, this the haves oppressing the have-nots, right? The problem with being poor is most of the time uh, being poor makes you powerless. Uh, when uh, those who are poor get taken advantage of, right? Uh, you know, in, in a business deal, what happens? Nothing, right? Uh if, if you're poor, in our in our culture, we'd say, well, well, they can sue, right? We don't have any money to sue. We don't even know people who know how to do this suing thing that you speak of. We don't know. And so the poor are the ones, and, and a lot of times it's, uh, it's kind of a trickle-down thing, right? At the bottom of the food chain, right? Uh, the very rich take advantage of those lesser than them which is basically everybody and and but they but you just kind of continue until you're kicking the dog right until you you're you're it all comes down and at the bottom there are those who are poor and so the oppression of the of the poor is this uh shocking problem of injustice but there are other things as well and he says this do not be amazed at the matter 
Do not be amazed. And if you're talking to kids, you say, this is just the way life is. Don't be amazed. And you say, but it shocks me. It shocks me. Injustice shocks me. As he goes on and describes this problem, he gives a, a bit of hope or a bit of, uh, you know, there is a better way. There is something. What is it? He says for, he, he speaks of these ones who are higher up. He says the higher official is watched by a higher. And then there's yet a higher ones over them. And so as you see the oppression of the poor, chances are they have a boss, right? And that boss is oppressing them. It's not that they are getting away with it or, or someone above them. And uh, some have suggested even here that there's an illusion that God is over all. And that's the reality, whether it's taught in this passage or not. When you see oppression and injustice in this world, you can reflect and comfort yourself by saying, God sees. God sees. And though it may seem like it's going unchecked today, God sees. And he is the ultimate judge. He speaks, too, of really the the better way, the better solution. In verse 9, he says, But this is gain for a land that in every way a king committed to cultivated fields. He says there's those who oppress, but there's also a better way, a king. What is it to look like a king of cultivated fields? The idea of using that which they have to produce for the benefit of all. Uh, by the way, that's uh, something you should think through as you vote, right? Well, not not in a, like, this isn't a, a so much, um, this is just a truth that's good for all, right? Uh, is one who is willing to cultivate the fields. The idea of working it and, and being able to produce a profit. This is one of the great themes of the book of Ecclesiastes is making it worth it, finding the profit. And so as you think through uh, what would be good for a land, any land, it would be a king that cultivates fields, that produces. is not one that is trying to find a way to do nothing, right? Okay, cultivate fields. That is the first shocking truth. A shocking problem of injustice. He moves on really to uh, a grand theme, these last two that we're going to look at. The shocking problem of loving cash. Cash. Money. In verse 10 he says, For he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Uh, As you see the little ones and they start to understand money, right? Uh, you know how kids get, right? They they have money. There was a time in my family where my dad would hand out money to our kids. He still does. It's just larger bills than it used to be. Uh, but my daughter, uh, she was probably two, uh, uh, she saw the boys kind of lining up and they were getting this piece of paper. And uh, he she just goes to the end of the line and puts her hand out. She didn't know. Um, but this, this picture of that money, that money is going to somehow satisfy us and that somehow, uh, the more money you get, the more satisfied you will be in life. And this is a shocking truth, a shocking truth. In fact, 
The reason I say shocking is because we hear it on the news all the time. Uh, We know celebrities and sports figures that we find out that they're depressed and they're, they're on all kinds of drugs and maybe even sometimes they take their life and we go, why? I don't get it. And I'll tell you why. It's written in God's Word. Money does not satisfy. It doesn't. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. The idea of wealth is being... Uh, the, the greater amount, the greater amount. And, and having a greater amount will not satisfy. Uh, a lot of times we, we say, and I've told you this before, but uh, when it comes to career planning for our kids, uh, what, what do they say all the time? What's the first thing that they, how much do they make? How much do they make? And this profession is better than this profession. Why? Because they make more money. And so if you make a certain amount of money, that will somehow satisfy you. God's word says, no, it won't. And I think that there's a shocking problem in that, in that some of us have pursued that. We finally got there and there's still the emptiness. There's still the the feeling of, isn't there something more? There's a shocking, he, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. He comes back to that, that phrase, vanity, right? The fleeting, uh, the temporary. It, it's, this is the truth bomb to our uh, American way of life, that money will not satisfy you. Nor uh, the stuff, the, the desire for stuff will not keep pace with the money that can buy it, right? It, it just can't, uh, the two can't go hand in hand. We say, well, we desire a bunch of things and, and money's going to somehow solve that. And when we finally get there, uh, there's not enough money for the things that we want to buy. And even if there is, there's no satisfaction found there. He goes on to express, he says, uh, uh, he says, verse 11, when goods increase, they increase uh who eat them and what advantage has their owner but to see them in his eyes. He brings up two points here that's important to remember about money. Uh, some would say more money, more problems. Uh, the idea, so um, do you guys have insurance? you guys have insurance? It's the law. You should have insurance, okay? Some of you didn't want to admit it real. Uh how much insurance do you need? How much insurance do you need? Well, it depends. I used to sell insurance, so I know these questions. Uh, I could sell you a great policy, you know, umbrella policy to protect you from everything. Um, it depends how much you have, how much insurance you need, right? Because the more stuff you have, the more insurance you need. Why? Because you have more to protect. And, and this idea... That, that you have all this stuff, it sounds like a good idea. Some of you know this about cars, right? Uh, you start out, you have one car, and it's worth $500. Um, and, you know, that's mostly in the stereo. Uh, you know, uh, you have that one car, and, and life is simple. And then you go get a brand new car, and they tell you about, like, uh, 
comprehensive and collision. And you say, why do I need that? And you say, because you have this expensive car. What happens if you crash it and it's not worth anything? And you go, oh, I never thought of that. Never thought of that with that other car I had. I just, you know, wait a minute and I'd buy another one, right? Uh, that's that picture. And, and what he's describing here is the more you have, the more problems and the more you need. As someone gains in wealth, uh, uh, as they uh, uh, buy a house and then they buy a bigger house and then they buy a bigger house than that and then they buy a bigger garage and then they have more stuff, guess what happens? Uh, they need someone to help them. They need someone to help them. They need someone to help them clean it. They need someone to help them uh, maintain all the cars that they have in their garage. They have these stuff and then they need more insurance and then they need uh, more servants. And even in a business, this idea that you keep going out and out and out, right? That you need more. He says, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. Uh, th this picture here is this, that as you add employees or people that need to help you, guess what? They need to be fed. This isn't talking about your kids, I don't believe. It might be. But anyways, we're at a high, you know, food's flying out of the Bosler house at this phase of life, okay? Um, uh, what was I talking about? I was talking about um, the increase that comes. The employees, guess what happens? As you have employees, as you have people, now you have to watch them, right? And as you get more employees, you, you start with a few people you can trust, Right? And then you just start grabbing people after that as you get more stuff. And you say, I need some help. And then you start grabbing people. And guess what happens then? They're either lazy or they're thieves. And pretty much that's the same thing, right? And you, and you have to watch them. And so there's this increasing in wealth to, goes on. And guess what happens? You can't deal with employees. And what is this for? He says this. What advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Uh, the greatest advantage of having stuff is just to look at it. <laughs> just to look at it. And at one point, there can be a satisfaction to that, at least initially. Hey, you want to come look at my car? <laughs> come look at my car? And then over time, it just becomes the eyesore, the reminder that you've got too much stuff. I'm not talking about your garage, but... If it fits, then maybe that's the Lord working on you this morning. Too much stuff, too much stuff. And this is what this looks like. This idea that somehow the love of money will be satisfactory to us. But what happens is the complete opposite. It becomes a burden. He says this in verse 12, and what an important verse for uh, us all to remember and for uh, us to teach to the generations after. He says this, Sweet is the sleep of a laborer. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer. If you're having trouble sleeping, maybe you should work. I'm serious. I'm serious. Uh, go dig a hole. You know, go weed whack. Okay? I'm sure you can find weed. By the way, um, around here at Bear Valley Church, if you ever see some weeds, there's no purchase authorization that needs to be filled out. No, there's no approval that needs to happen. We don't need to go to the elders on this one. If you want to take care of those, just come, just come. 
Uh, no one's going to be mad that you've chopped down the weeds, okay, or sprayed them or whatever you do. Uh, no, no rules on weeds, okay. Um, I, I want us to understand that, that that sweet is the sleep of the laborer. Sometimes we look at the blue collar life, and I, we even teach our kids: Wouldn't it be great if you got paid for nothing? Wouldn't it be great if you didn't have to stand up to do a job? Wouldn't it be great if if your muscles weren't sore at the end of the day? And the Lord put in His eternal word, sweet is the sleep of the laborer. And you know, you all know that too, right? You know that, that feeling of a good day of hard work. Uh, it says this, that uh, whether he eats little or much, his sleep is sweet. You know, it, it may not be the provision that you want. It may not even be much at all, but the, the sweet is sleep. But what does it say of the rich? But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Why? Because he's worried about the thief that will come in the night. He's worried if his you know, investments will go south. He's worried about uh, his car, whether someone will steal his car or that his grandkids will scrape it or something like that. He's worried about that. Why? Because that's the the plight of the rich. They have trouble sleeping because they're worried about their stuff. They're worried about their stuff. And I want to tell you, uh, think about that. Think about that. If you start worrying about your stuff, that's probably uh, a trigger for you that you have too much of it. As we move on, we come to the, the third shocking truth, and it's a lot like the second. He says, there's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun, that there's something that bothers him in his soul. He, he, he's, he finds it to be evil and hurtful to his own heart as he thinks about it. There's an evil that I have seen under the sun, right, right down here. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. Riches were kept. And the idea here is the idea of accumulating riches, pulling them into yourself finding the pile of money and then finally sitting on top of it. And, and this idea of keeping them to their hurt, that, that it's, it's a picture here um, of, of this idea that riches hoarded hurt. This idea of gathering and holding onto and, and, and keeping it uh, and being this one that says, I'm just, my goal in life is to get a big pile of money and then to sit on top of it. He goes on to talk about this one and he's playing out a scenario that the riches first hoarded and then in verse 14, and then those riches were lost in a bad venture. To go from having the huge pile of money and then it falling apart on you. And then your investments go south or the thief comes or or something about it. It, It's interesting. Uh, as I, I seek to uh, have young adults in my life right now, my kids, and it's always hard for them as they begin to have money uh, when things break, when a car breaks or, or the idea of a bill that comes that they weren't ready for. And that frustration of I worked so hard. And then as Proverbs says, and wings, it flew away. Uh, you know this. Uh, and it's hard and nothing's easy. And this is what's part of this life. And so he presents this and he says, 
the shocking truth that you can have all this wealth, but what could happen? Verse 14, and the riches were lost in a bad venture. At one point I had this and then I invested and it was gone. It was gone. Some of you could give testimony to similar things. And to make matters worse, it says that uh, in verse 14, and he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. He has those who are dependent upon him, those who are, are looking to him. And then he describes really all of life. And he says, verse 15, and he came from his mother's womb. He shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing, shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. He says, this also is a grievous evil. He says it again, just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? He describes the cycle of life that we come in nakedness, not bringing a single thing dependent. And he says, that's how you will leave this life. You can't take anything with with you. We know that people have done cartoons and they've spoken of Hearst with U-Hauls and all these other things and that you can't take it with. And yet we know. And yet, as Solomon looked upon this, a man who had much. And he said, this toil in this life, I worked so hard for this. And yet at the end, it will be left behind. Verse 17, uh, he brings kind of a picture of what this kind of living looks like. He says, moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and in much vexation and sickness and anger. This one who desires to build the pile of money, there's a sense of frustration to it all. That's all his days. Well, those three shocking problems lead us to an emptiness to insert the gospel of Jesus Christ. You feel like a beggar after you look at that. You can't fix the oppressions of this life. The, the money won't satisfy you. Even if you seek your whole life to get a pile of money, you're left with nothing. And you say, so what do I do? I want to tell you it's because you need the gospel. You need Jesus to say it plainly. The God who uh, wrote this book, he has a son. God in the flesh as he came to this earth, he, he came to, as we have sung, to die for sinners, to die for sinners, to take your place, to take my place. The sins that we've committed, they make us guilty. They, they remind us. And Jesus came that you would no longer have to bear that guilt alone, that he would take it for you. That he would be your answer to the empty life. It's found in the grace of God, his love for you. If you want to talk more about that, I'd love to talk more uh, about that with you. Well, we come to the, the last shocking truth uh, in verse 18. He says, uh, and, and the shocking truth is the gift of God in this life. His gift to you. And there's a specific gift in this passage. He says, Behold, what I've seen uh, to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil in which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Uh, 
He said this already. He's coming back to the answer. He's coming back to it. He says there's a gift of God. It's to find enjoyment, not in fancy foods, not in the things that are grand, but in the simplicity of life. In every uh, person's life, it's enjoying a basic life to get enjoyment, not possessions. He, he points to the simple meal, right, of uh, enjoying uh, eat and eating and drinking, finding enjoyment in all the toil, enjoyment in his work. Once again, I think I, I know I've mentioned this quite a few times, but it's not enjoyment in not working. It's enjoyment in working. It's the idea of finding what God has for you today and enjoying that day, knowing that this is what God has brought you. He brings about, uh, he reminds us that in this work, it will be work, which he toils in in this life. And then he says a super important truth that we should never forget that life is short, that life is short, that your days are numbered, your days are numbered. Um, most of us want to know what that number is, right? How many days do I have? How many days do I have? I want to tell you uh, that it's a subtraction thing, right? And you can uh, rejoice in the subtraction. As If we make it to tomorrow, it's one day less, right? And you say, well, how can I be excited about that? Uh, the excitement is this, that we get to go and be with Him forever. If we've trusted in Jesus, this life is short, and then eternity is forever. And it's a good place for us to be with Him rejoicing uh, as part of His family forever. He goes for the double message. He, he shared this shocking truth that uh, joy in this life is a gift of God, whether you have little. But then he goes at it again in verse 19. He says, everyone also to whom God has given wealth. That's the distinction. He goes from the basic life to the wealthy life, okay? The wealthy life of having much or having sufficient amount or an abundance. He goes to that, but he says this. It's not just having wealth. It's enjoying a wealthy life. Uh, verse 19, everyone who also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them. God given wealth and But not just that he gives the wealth, but that he gives the wealth, possessions, but power to enjoy them. Rich people are typically not happy. Because why? Because wealth can't satisfy you, right? But I want to tell you, with God's help, his gift, uh, there's an enjoyment that he would bless somebody with that they might be enjoy, in, able to enjoy that which He has provided. The point here is this, that joy is a gift from God. Okay, I know I've gone long already. But this is my favorite verse of the whole passage, which we're going to get to. Verse 20, please look at it. I think it can be so key for us today. Especially for those of you who are older. Especially. Okay? Um, I love, I love this verse. It's just been bouncing around in my head and I, I just can't get over it. Verse 20 says this, for he will not much remember the days of his life 
because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. What does that mean? I want to tell you uh, that as you look at this this morning, I won't look for a show of hands. How many of you, um, I want you to just think right now, can think back, think back to some regrets that you have, some things that you wished that wouldn't happen. I remember talking to a woman here at the church when I was a youth pastor, and she said she was going through some pictures, and she had to throw the pictures away. There were family pictures. There were time, and she says, I remember that day. And when I look at that picture, it reminds me. It reminds me of regrets I have, of places I was at. And it's interesting. You can do that with anything, right? You can see things. You can uh, watch the news. You can see a scene in a movie, and it just brings back all these regrets. And you just go, oh, I just can't stand it. As you think about your regrets and the things that, mark you. They might be sins done to you or sins that you did to somebody else. If you think about your life prior to this day, I'm sure there's there's regret and guilt that happens. But read that last verse. Where he, and this is the one that's enjoying. Uh, God has gifted with joy. <laughs> He's living the life in the midst of God's blessings, but he's also uh, just acknowledging that God's joy is enough for him. It says, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. If I could say it to you, I'd say it this way. A joyful heart is for you today. It's a gift of God. And a joyful heart can answer your regrets of the past. Um, some of you know how to work your email account. Some of you do. And uh, you can put this fancy thing when you go on vacation that says, uh, basically says, don't bother me. Don't bother me. But it's usually a lot nicer. You say things, hey, I'm out of the office this week. If there's anything important, Bother somebody else with it. No, uh, it's this auto response. And what it's saying is, I'm busy doing other things. I want to tell you that joy today as a gift from God is the auto response to the regrets and guilt of the past. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I'm too busy enjoying this day that the Lord has blessed me with to deal with the regrets and the memories and and the junk of the past. I'm I'm too busy today for that. What 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 a powerful thing for us. As people with regrets, as people who go back and they replay the game and they say, I should have done this, but I didn't. If I would have done this, I would have won and I didn't win. And this reminds me over and over and over again. A joyful heart today that comes from God is the answer to the regrets of the past. Three things, real quickly. Orders uh, for living today based on what Solomon has seen by the inspiration of God. First one is this. Seek joy that is from God, not cash. Seek joy that is from God. Watch your heart. Watch your heart. If you're doing it just for money, it's probably the wrong reason. 
probably the wrong thing. Seek joy that is from God, not cash. Second, I look for God's gift for you today. Look for it. Look for things that He would grant you joy in. Look for it. Uh, search for it. Look for His hand of blessing in your life. And then, and then, thank Him. You know why? Because needy people thank, they say thank you for a gift, right? If you need something and somebody blesses you with a gift, not that you deserved it, not that you could buy it on your own. If they give you the gift, what do you say? You say, thank you. Thank you. I'm a needy person. You know what? Let me say something. I'm not looking at anybody right now. Okay, I'll close my eyes. You're a bunch of downers. You're a bunch of downers. You quickly go to the negative. We are people who, you know, the sun's out and go, it's too hot. It's too hot. You know, it hurts my eyes. I can't find my sunglasses. You know, uh, we, we quickly go to that. We quickly go to that. But with God's help and his gifts, he will grant us joy at every season of life. And if he grants you joy, the needy person needs to say thank you. Thank you, God, for the joy of this day. Lastly, be busy with God's joy for today. Be busy. That word occupied. It's your job. It's your job. Uh, you know why? You know what you're not you're gonna do if you don't do your job? You're gonna start reflecting on all the failures of the past. You're gonna start bringing up baggage for the things that happened. What God wants you to do today is be busy with his joy, his joy for today. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you for instructing us and telling us what we could not figure out on our own. God, we uh, think that life will be perfect. We think that it'll come out the way we want it and planned it. Uh, and yet we look at your word and we know that not to be true. God, help us to submit to your plan uh, and find your gift of joy. Uh, God, I pray that it does provide um, the cover for our failures of the past. God, help us to be busy about what you want us to do today, enjoying the life that you have granted us. God, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here today. You are dismissed.